So you blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hi, I'm Tamsin. And I'm Ayla. And welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. Today's episode, we will be discussing season one, episode two, The First Cut is the Deepest. Uh, On this episode, Meredith decides to stay in her mother's house, so she starts the hunt for a housemate. We follow with the case of a rape victim in the hospital who has bitten off the penis of her attacker. Meredith and George find calm and solace away from their intern life by looking at newborn babies in the nursery. Meredith has a disagreement with a nursery intern. Alex joins Dr. Bailey's team and is forced to work with Christina. Izzy breaks the rules to help a patient and overcome a language barrier. Derek and Bert clash over who should be the next chief. So this episode as well, we get a bit of a hint as to what this episode's theme is in Meredith's opening monologue. She's talking all about lines, the line separating you from the people you work with. It's all about drawing lines in the sand and praying like hell no one crosses them. It's all about lines. She also says, life is messy. That's how we're made. So you can waste your life drawing lines or you can live your life crossing them. But there are some lines that are way too dangerous to cross. But here's what I know. If you're willing to take the chance, the view from the other side is spectacular. And I think it really sums up what this episode is about because we have so many lines. We have uh, the crossing the line between crossing the line with her relationship, if she sleeps with her boss mm-hmm. or not. We have crossing this line between workmates and housemates. Yep. This this episode really sets up Meredith's character as being a bit of a rebel. It does, and how she is unafraid to break rules if it's for, I guess, the, the greater good in a way. What she believes to be the greater good. Yeah, that's a better way to put it because it's definitely what she believes. So this episode begins with everyone sort of arriving uh, at the hospital. Yeah, so- and you get to a little bit of a glimpse into some of these characters as well. I love Christina on the motorbike. Yep, and George is set up as uh, a fumbling idiot again. Uh, Izzy is very much established as... The hot one. The elevator doors mm-hmm. open and it's full of these guys just gawking at her. Just gawking at her because she's model doctor. Yes. Um, and Meredith is trying to find a housemate. So she puts up a notice board in the communal change rooms, the unisex change rooms, um, but kind of hates everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has absolutely no interest. And George and Izzy make very clear they would be happy to live with her, but that's her drawing a line at the start of this episode and she says, no, we can't work together and live together. It's too much. Which then This isn't RuPaul's best friend race. <laughs> yeah, Meredith uh, has definitely set herself up as having the intention, intention of not making friends here, being committed to the work and not – socializing but i think she goes on to realize that having a support network is incredibly important yeah so we also see meredith put her shoes on which are these 
really ugly leopard print flats. Um, I'm going to defend this because 2005 was a time Misha Barton had brought the ballerina flats to popularity and since then we have not stopped wearing cardboard shoes. You're only defending them because you had them. I did have them. They're not <laughs> leopard print. Uh, they were this weird, like, faux leopard print ballerina flat brogue abomination uh and yeah i i definitely owned them these shoes become really important because the main case that we follow in this episode is of a rape victim who is actually wearing Mm. the same shoes so meredith starts to feel quite connected to this patient because of this fashion choice it's pretty special that this show is able to add humor to this story Because it's such a harrowing storyline, this rape victim that comes in, is beaten almost to death. She's in really bad shape. And then we find out that she's bitten the penis off her attacker. And the reason they find this out is because it's stuck in her gastrointestinal system. Yeah. But this woman is beat so badly that not only Derek, the neurosurgeon, is in there, but so is Burke, the cardiovascular surgeon. And Meredith was the only person in an OR full of trained surgeons and medical professionals. And Meredith, bright, young, brand new intern, pipes up in the middle of this OR. She's like, she bit it off. (laughs) That's his penis. And everyone is shocked. And I find it hilarious that she is the only person in that room to realize that that's what it was i didn't even clock that but you are so right there were so many people in that surgery Mm -hmm. and burke holds it up and he's like what is this what is this yeah oh just as the classic man with a box of tampons totally (laughs) it's like oh i don't want to hold it because people will think i'm gay (laughs) Right. Oh, the fragile masculinity explains a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shit, that's... <laughs> oh, it's laughable. And then it almost feels also as well like, oh, this young girl, she must know a lot about sex. She must be really sexual because she knows what a penis looks like. She is a doctor. Yep. They are all medical professionals. They should all be able to identify that. Anyway, that blows my mind every time. <laughs> it's but absolutely yes, ridiculous. She is the one who identifies it. So she has to carry it around for the rest of the episode in a box. In in like a little heat-proof lunchbox with a handle. <laughs> it's like a little esky. Because according to the police, it has to stay in the possession of the person that found it until it's picked up. But yeah, in this episode, we do get our first look at what the elevators will soon become. The elevator is basically its own character in this whole series. I kind of hate how the inside of the elevators have changed over the years. <laughs> also, why aren't there more notices? Every time you go to a hospital, they the elevators are plastered with notices. These ones are not. No. I mean, they get plastered with things over the years, different things. Derek's face, pictures of Izzy. Fluids. Fluids. <laughs> all sorts of things. So Meredith walks into the elevator to see Derek standing there. And Derek mm-hmm. just starts up a conversation about his one true love, the ferry boats. He loves them. He loves them. And Meredith again sets a boundary 
She does. And says that she's going to draw a line to which Derek quips, do you want a marker? And then the sexual tension of the elevator is too much and they make out. Mm -hmm. And she drops all of her paper everywhere. And that sort of, yeah, sets the standard of what happens in elevators at Gray Sloan from then on. Mm-hmm. Elevators are, I was reading an article or just a little fact tidbit recently that humans are inherently very, very uncomfortable with being in combined spaces with other humans, which is why elevators are one of the most uncomfortable places no one talks no one makes eye contact you 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 take up as little space as possible which i think is really odd that they choose to make elevators that place i think it's the privacy aspect i think there's so many people in the hospital and there's so much going on and there's beeping and people running and i think it's almost they step into the elevator those doors shut and it's its own little world and it's just those two people and it's silent. Well, there might be elevator music, but, but for us it's silent. And it's just a short period of time where they can't, you can't go anywhere. You're stuck because this elevator's moving. And I, I think that heightens all of this awareness of if there's one other person in there, you are very aware. You're aware of your own breathing, of the way that you're standing. You're aware of everything. And I think it works really well for it to become a place where sexual tension is rife. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christina and George are put on the code team for this episode. So if you don't know what the code team is, basically, uh, just George. Well, no, it's originally Christina as well. And then Christina chooses to leave George to it. Um, uh, which basically means that he thinks he's going to be saving people all day, but his job is to be the one who responds to every code and it's just another really demoralizing day for George just trying with all of his heart to save people and I I don't think by I think by the end of the episode he didn't save a single one no it is really sad and then we we learn that George and Meredith have a place they go where they need a little pick-me-up where they can feel a little bit happy where they feel a sense of calm Mm. And it's up in the nursery looking at the babies, which is really Mm -hmm. strange Meredith behavior, I think. But it is really nice. Yeah. And Meredith spots that one of the babies is kind of turning blue. So she she sneaks in and checks on the baby. Yeah. And this is another line. This is another line that she's crossing. This is not her patient. This is not her jurisdiction. Yeah. She's not allowed in that area whatsoever. And this nurse pulls this out of her. She's like, you will get fired for this. You are not allowed to be here. Uh, but Meredith does what she does. And she, she fights with this OBG intern about mm-hmm. uh, a child that she's not doing enough to save it. So then while that's happening, we also have one of my favourite little montages of Christina and mm. Alex, whose basic, oh, they, their job is to go around to all the patients giving that out lab results. Are basically just can be discharged because they're fine. Their lab results have come back clear. Mm-hmm. They're not sick anymore. They don't have to have surgery. And for these two characters who all they want to do is get into the OHA and cut people and do medicine, telling people that they're fine is not their favourite thing to do. And the family members keep trying to hug them. And this montage is hilarious. And it's just these two characters really trying not to be hugged <laughs> over and over mm-hmm. again. 
I really enjoy it. I think it's really cute. And it's even though they're not in all the scenes together, there is a bit of bonding. And I think they realize that they have something in common. And it's it's um it's another boundary that's been set as well. When uh Christina first sees Alex, she turns around and sets this very big boundary of Oh, you're the one that called Meredith a nurse yesterday. Mm-hmm. I hate you on principle and don't want anything to do with you. So she's set this like, we will not be friends. And then they end up just having this really cute, like, I'm not getting a hug. You're going to be the one getting a hug. You're the soft female. And she's like, I'm Christina Yang. I am as sharp as they come. It's the first little instinct that maybe some people are going to become friends with Alex down the track. And their sense of humour is, like, it's very Australian in that they bond by talking smack about each other. Yes, definitely. Uh, He calls her an ovarian sister. (laughs) And also this is another line. Like, you know, they don't like being hugged. All these patients are crossing a boundary with them. Another line. Another line. Um, Oh, and there's a – so Izzy is doing sutures all day. Again, being punished by Bailey for – very little reason. But I also don't know if it would be technically – they're brand new. This is their second day. I think I think they should be doing work like this. I think they should be doing suturing yeah, over and over to get good at it. You know, they're practising skills. Meredith's not. Karev and Christina are running labs. Uh, George is doing codes, which I think is super important. Izzy is – doing suturing and small wounds in the ER. Meredith is in surgery mm. and then holding a penis, Well, yeah. tip off. So while Izzy's suturing, the main patient for Izzy comes in. It's this Chinese woman called Mrs. Lu who doesn't speak English and Izzy doesn't speak Chinese, so they have a massive language barrier to overcome. <gasps> and she grabs Christina to translate. A great scene. <laughs> yeah, she's like, can you ask her what's wrong? I don't speak Chinese. She's like. No. <laughs> I grew up, yeah, I grew up in New York. The only Chinese I know is on the Mr. Chow's takeout menu. Also, I'm Korean. <laughs> I wouldn't have called you, but I can't get hold of the translator. Can you just ask her what's wrong? No. Why not? Because I grew up in Beverly Hills. The only Chinese I know is from a Mr. Chow's menu. Besides, I'm Korean. It's just a, it's just it's a like, great line. Again, Shonda Rhimes from the get-go. I, I, I spoke about it um and the effect that she had on our sort of pilot episode for us. I'm realizing now that Shonda Rhimes was really doing a lot of stuff to do with culture and race from the get-go. Yeah, straight away. She knew what she wanted to do. She knew she wanted to put scenes like this on primetime television. And they're done really well because they're done super realistically. Like that is 100% yeah. a scenario that could happen very easily. So, yeah, Mrs. Chow is just speaking to her in uh, Mrs. Lou. what appears to be Cantonese. Sorry, Mrs. Lou. And she has no idea what's going on and is trying to find a translator. And I'm, I was quite surprised that the hospital couldn't provide one to help. Yeah, me too. I'm quite surprised as well. And she does ask, she does say to like a room full of people, does anybody speak Chinese? And it is like one of the largest languages. So I'm quite surprised that there isn't anyone that had any Chinese ability but anyway that's the storyline that's fine Izzy ends up following her outside to find that Mrs Lou has a younger friend or colleague or potentially it's her daughter we're not we're never really told oh it is her daughter I believe 
and she had a injury at work, mm. her head's cut open, but because she's an illegal immigrant, she can't be treated inside in the hospital. So Izzy treats her outside. Look, it's a really sweet scene. It definitely comments on the the healthcare system in America, and it also just shows us Izzy's nature. She has a huge big heart and she just wants to help people, and she isn't the character like we said about the in the last episode. She's in a character to you know, ask for more or feel like she's being given the rough end of the stick because she's doing sutures all day or yeah. she goes where she's needed. But, again, crossing a boundary, doing medicine outside of the yes. hospital. She mentions that she could lose her medical license in her job. Yep. There's a line for both of these characters. So her patient can't cross the line and come into the hospital because she could be sent out of the country because she doesn't have a visa. And we have a bit more Dr. Burke in this episode being slightly more pleasant than he was in episode one. So Meredith actually corners him and asks him for his help with the blue baby. Well, yeah, she asks him, again, lines to cross a line to get him to basically go above um, this intern that's not letting her treat the baby and above the intern's well, boss. Burke initially puts her back in her place. He says, without a PEDS consult, he can't do anything. Like, it's not my jurisdiction. I have absolutely no reason to walk into uh, the PEDS floor without someone asking me to. Yeah. Don't ask me to break the rules. Well, the only reason why Burke ends up ends up doing this is because the chief basically tells him he's not doing enough to be chief of surgery. He's like, you only do exactly what's asked. You never stay late. You never do more than you need to do. The only reason why Burke goes and helps the baby and goes and helps Meredith is for completely selfish reasons. And that, I think, is the core of Burke's character, using other people for his own gains mm-hmm. is is all he does. Um, and he's quite cantankerous that Derek's been brought in because he finds out Derek and him have this very offhanded avoiding the subject banter where it basically comes out that the reason that Derek's been in Seattle Grace is to take the next step of his career and that Weber has asked him or offered him potential to be the chief of medicine. Uh, Burke finds this out and cracks the sads with Weber mm-hmm. and Weber just blows it off saying, oh, he's an old student of mine. We needed someone in Nero. The position is not ever been promised to you. Certainly you're on the cards, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have some competition. But again, he is crossing a line and crossing a boundary by yelling at his superior. Exactly. We see a very sweet side of Derek where he stays with the rape victim overnight and Meredith kind of, I think, falls in love with him a little bit in this moment. She sees that he's just been waiting with her because she has no family and no friends. And Derek, we learn a little about Derek's family and he says, I have four sisters and they would all be here if this was me. So he wants to kind of act like. Yeah. So then Meredith and uh, Christina are having a chat about sort of everything that happened the other day after the, the their first day being an intern. And so they're having a chat in the lobby. And as they are, a truck just swerves into the parking lot and out stumbles a man covered in blood from the waist down. Yes, and before we follow this guy, we hear for the first time Christina say McDreamy. (gasps) Yes. Which has just Mm -hmm. become such an important 
important little moment for the show. And then, yes, it all gets interrupted by a swerving truck and a man covered in blood. And he has no penis, and I wonder why. And then we get into the operating room. And I'm so glad, I'm the most glad that this case is handed over to Dr. Bailey. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it is an operating room full of women, which I love. And Bailey's takes this as a teaching moment because Meredith obviously has the penis on her and says, why? Why can't we reattach this penis? And Meredith's like, well, it wasn't a clean cut and, you know, it's been in a digestive tract. (laughs) And Bailey, queen of my world, says, all right, ladies, let's just take a moment to grieve. Scalpel! (laughs) (laughs) No moment at all. No grieving. No grieving. Mm Mm-hmm. And, oh, when Derek, you can see how passionate he is about this just being so fucked up Mm. when he very, uh, again, crossing boundaries, inappropriately wakes him up after surgery to tell him to rot in hell. This guy wakes up in handcuffs and is just told by Derek that he doesn't have a penis anymore, basically. I have good news and bad news. Dr. Bailey stopped your bleeding. The bad news is we're giving your penis to the cops. (laughs) So speaking of Bailey's sense of humor, Mm -hmm. I think after Burke's chat with the chief, he's definitely been knocked down a few pegs. And this is where he sees, we see how much he respects Bailey because Burke asks Bailey if he's too confident and says she has the next 30 seconds to say whatever she wants. And Bailey goes to town. Yeah, we really get to know Bailey in this moment. I love her. Because Bailey has a a really bad habit later on of a little bit of telling people how to live their lives, but this is just pure Bailey. You asked for my opinion. Mm -hmm. You are going to get my opinion. And she just does not let (laughs) each just like, you are cocky, you are condescending, you are egotistical. And he was like, <laughs> she's like, I've got 20 seconds left. Yeah. <laughs> Bossy and pushy. You also have a God complex. You never think about anybody but your damn self. But I, but, but I still have 22 more seconds. I'm not done. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, everyone loves Bailey. That's kind of the end of the episode. And then you see them all leaving the hospital. And we just have to comment on the styling I just, I know it's the early thousands, (laughs) but I just do not understand who is styling these interns. The early thousands is who is styling these interns. That is what we all looked like. But but (laughs) did we? Like, Meredith is young in this and they've dressed her like she's 40. She's got a blue corduroy jacket and a dark green turtleneck top and then brown cord pants well there was so much cords then though there was and brown was a thing like chocolatey and sort of like dirty tan was very much a color palette it's it's a lot it is not flattering none of them look good outside of the hospital yeah even izzy's wearing like a green blazer i that it wasn't necessarily the fashion that really got me this episode can we talk about how George has to be standing so close that he could lick your nose every time he talks to someone. (laughs) 
I didn't even notice that. Especially Meredith. He stands so close to her. Like he's constantly Mm. weaving in between people to be talking over her shoulder. And every time I'm watching it, I'm cowering away like, bro, take a step back. And I don't know if it's the COVID, but I'm pretty sure people don't stand that close. I wonder if it is just part of his character just to show he is socially awkward. Like I feel like that's a – that's a character trait they do try and push with George, that he is, yeah, bumbly, socially awkward, kind of a directorial choice. I hope they're giving him breath mints all throughout this. Good actors have a toothbrush on set. Brush your teeth after you eat. Oh, I've just um, refound Listerine pocket strips. Oh, my goodness. Blast from the past. Yeah, they're really good for under a mask. <laughs> They don't make your eyes water violently. So I just assume he's got a packet of those in his pocket. It's definitely the era for it. Absolutely. Well, it's just nice. This episode really wraps up with Meredith, you know, undrawing her line in the sand with them a little bit. She's really, it's the start of her letting them in and being open to being friends with her fellow interns. And you really see that they all walk out of the hospital. They're all smiling. Well, they're all smiling because Meredith has said, all right, fine. You can come and live with me. And this is where we sort of start to find out a little bit more about the characters. Like, I'm glad that we got to see a different side to Alex and a little bit more Mm -hmm. from Christina. We still don't know a lot about Izzy yet. A patient that she was uh, fixing up the laceration uh, on his hand does sort of hint towards, haven't I seen you somewhere before? Why do you look so familiar? And then we will get to that maybe even next episode. So, yeah, they're all starting to grow a little bit. And I still don't like Burke any more than I did last episode. That's fair. Mm-mm. That is fair. He has no redeeming qualities yet. Yet, I think is the the word. Thank you so much for joining us on Scalpels and Tequila for season one, episode two. We've enjoyed it as much as Meredith and George enjoy looking at babies. And as much as Derek likes fairy boats. Bye. Bye. Vagina. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina. Vagina.